On this episode, we're going to be talking with Eif van der Warp on how he became one of the first optometrists in the Netherlands and how he became an international contact lens superstar on The OI Show. Thanks for joining us for the Optometric Insights Show. I'm here with uh, my good friend Eif van der Warp. Eif and I have known each other, I think, since about 2007, 2008. Eif has been... Uh, a huge partner in my learning about contact lenses, and we've known each other for quite some time. Uh, Afe, thanks for joining us for the Optometric Insight Show. How are things in the Netherlands? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm from my rooftop office here in Amsterdam, and um, yeah, look forward to chatting with you, Dave. Yeah, yeah. So Afe, uh, Afe is a kind of an interesting figure in the eye care community. His perspective on uh, on contact lenses has has been really really inspiring to a lot of us in the contact lens world. If you haven't subscribed to his newsletter, he's got an incredible newsletter that he's been putting out for quite a few years, and uh, it's uh, it's really internationally renowned. Uh, and I'm excited to kind of talk with Afe a little bit about his history and how he got where he's got. And then I know we've got another episode with him that uh, that is about some recent research on soft contact lenses and how we can actually fit them. I just actually wrote an article based on Afe's research work of how we're fitting contact lenses again rather than guessing. And uh, it's been really, really cool, the work he's done. But Eif, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do in eye care, and uh, then I'm going to ask you a little bit about how you got here. So what is, how do you describe yourself to people who first meet you in the eye care community? Yeah, that's a good one, Dave. I, uh, to be quite frank with you, I sometimes struggle with that. Um, but more and more, as I'm coming of age, I'm, um, I'm describing my more, myself more as an educator than, mm-hmm. than anything else. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. a little bit of a researcher, and I, I do a fair bit of that, and I did my PhD. So, of course, that's in my, uh, my rucksack, if you want. And, uh, I, you know, in essence, I always felt like a practitioner as well. You know, I I, I am um, raised as a practitioner, of course, and I've been in private practice for many, many years. But in all honesty, uh, the last couple of years, I haven't. So mm-hmm. I have one foot in the research maybe and one foot in the clinical side of things. And I try to combine that. that that's, that's literally what I try to do also with the... Uh, and thanks for mentioning that for uh, the newsletter that um, I have two actually, or three actually. One is mm-hmm. in Dutch, so that would not be as uh, interesting to your readers maybe. But um, the two in English, one is on specialty RGP lenses. Mm-hmm. And that started back in 2007 when we hardly had any scleral lenses. So it was about corneal topography. My PhD was in rigid lenses and anything related to it. And, um, yeah, then it sort of transitioned into ortho K and then into scleral lenses. And now it's all of that. So every month there's enough literature. So I, I, I sort of scan the literature, scientific stuff, but also contact lens spectrum and more clinical stuff. And then I have one rule, basically, Dave, if I think, oh, that's an interesting thing, I mm-hmm. just 
throw it out there and I hope other people will like it too. And uh, it is close to 4,000 subscribers. So uh, that is, mm -hmm. that is going pretty well. And then the other one, which is a quarterly one, because there wasn't that much literature uh, up to recently is on soft specialty lenses. So it's yeah. about what you mentioned, the fitting of soft lenses. And it's also about, you know, using bandage lenses and therapeutic lenses and, uh, uh, you know, even colored lenses and everything that specialty lens that, that's not covered basically with uh, with the commercial lenses and um, yeah again same thing but that is that whole specialty lens arena is sort of for me it's almost like the next clerals uh, if you want me to jump into that right away because I think there's so much new stuff there that is of interest to us so I think 10 years the last decade basically the last 10 years was sort of the decade of uh, of sclerals of course mm -hmm. in our specialty lens arena and then before that it was a decade of uh, earth okay and now it, it feels to me the next decade is sort of the decade of soft specialty lenses because there's so much to learn and so much to gain you know myopia control presbyopia higher order aberrations but we'll get to all of that but that is yeah. uh I don't even know where we started. Was it answering your question, Dave? <laughs> yeah, no, you got to it. I think you uh, you explained on the educator side of things. And just so everybody knows, we'll put links to uh, Tafe's newsletters in the show notes. So if you're interested in subscribing or checking one of those out, uh, we'll get some links for for that. If you, you you also hold something that's a little bit unique, if I recall from one of our conversations as being the first or one of the first uh, optometrists in the Netherlands. Can you share uh, growing up, what inspired you to start this journey towards eye care and how in the world did you go about being, you know, in, in that first group or in the, as the first optometrist in the Netherlands? Yeah, that's uh, that's funny you ask that. That's uh, that's a long story. I'll try to keep it short, Dave. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I grew up on a farm, so my dad's a, a dairy farm. Very typical Dutch thing. Um, my mother and my father used to make Gouda cheese, so that's yeah. about as Dutch as you can get it, right? And um, so I grew up there. But I was I was reading a lot. I you know I was I was a reader when I was young, and believe it or not, I became myope. Um, although I did spend quite a lot of time outdoors, I'm sure. But um, so I went to the local optician around the time I think I was ready to make my first choice um, in, in what time to school I, would, um, I was going to do. And uh, I thought, well, this could be interesting, uh, optician. So I did optician school at first, which is a four-year course in the Netherlands. And by the time that ended... Um, my employer, that optician that I walked into, actually, I started to work there too. He said, well, there's going to be this uni optometry university in the Netherlands. It's, we never had that before. We had opticians, we had contact lens specialists, but we didn't have optometrists. Is that something you would like? I was like, what the hell is an optometrist? I have no idea. <laughs> so um, long, long story short, I, I started that first year with, I think, seven or eight students um, in, back in hmm, 1989. And then we, well, basically a few um, left us during those four years. And by the end, we were with two. So my good buddy, Gerben Sinke, and myself, we were the two first optometrists uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah, 
Yeah. And then proceeding on from there, uh, what what was your journey to be to do the the PhD? You know, after you graduated, you didn't just go into practice, so to speak. I mean, you kind of catapulted in in Europe and the United States, and you know, you kind of became well known even before your PhD. So, how did you how did you go from becoming a graduate as one of the first two uh, optometrists in the Netherlands? to this interest in contact lenses, and then thus this PhD that you did? Yeah, the, um, the, the practice, starting my own practice or working for a practice, but starting my own practice probably, that was the plan. And with practice, that would mean like an optician shop probably, because again, optometry wasn't known that right. well in the Netherlands. Right. Um, so I did an externship during my studies in Manchester, UK, with um, Nathan Efron, or Nathan mm-hmm. Efron was uh, was the boss at the time, and Phil Morgan was there as doing his PhD, and that probably got me going, Dave. You know, yeah. I saw those guys and I saw what they were doing, and I thought, huh, well, <laughs> in all humbleness. Um, it's funny to say that, and it may come out wrong on your podcast, but it <laughs> it, it, it it was like, well, I can do this, so sure. why why shouldn't I proceed with that? It felt so natural, you know, doing yeah. lectures and, and and doing the little studies that I was doing there in those months that I spent there after my studies, because I was the first with my body to graduate in the Netherlands. They gave us a stipend to go to an American university. Mm which was Houston. So we spent four months with Jan Bergmanson as, as a contact lens residency almost and mm-hmm. in uh, the College of, Optometry, uh, yeah, College of Optometry there. And same thing, you know, stuff Jan was doing. Um, well, I'm still very thankful to both Efren and, and Bergmanson for um, helping me out in those, um, in those first years. And uh, yeah, that, that sparkled it, Dave. And uh, yeah. I just kept doing it. And when I came back, I, we, we, we went to the school of dormitory and said, well, listen, this is what we learned in Houston. Um, they have clinics there where they say real patients. We need that. And we need this and we need that. And they said, all right, go ahead and start doing it. And that probably was, was the final thing I needed to say, well, all right, let, let's, let's pursue a career in education while at the same time working in clinical practice. And I did that for many, many years, actually, the dual um, uh, thing. And uh, then gradually I started to uh, sort of go into more education and from the education, the research. And then I thought, well, if I really want to do this, then I need to proceed with the, with the PhD and that's it, basically. And when did you get your PhD and where from? So because Omtomtry was so new, there was no platform for anyone yeah. in the Netherlands to do a PhD, basically. So you had to do it under supervision of, the, of an ophthalmologist. So um, I looked around a long time and finally ended up all the way in the south uh, in Maastricht, where um, an ophthalmologist was was willing to be my supervisor. Mm-hmm. And then we found Helen Swarbrick all the way in Australia, way mm-hmm. more south, uh, mm-hmm. to be my external supervisor. But yeah, I needed that, um, that University of Maastricht to, uh, um, to host basically my, uh, my PhD project. And uh, in the end, I graduated in November 2008. 
So it was, again, that was a part-time thing as well. So it was a long track of maybe 10 years, but it was, mm -hmm. it was fun. I really yeah. enjoyed that. You know, I think a, a sign of a true educator is how simple they can make something look. And uh, I mean, you just landed in the clinic with two great contact lens people. And then you landed in a residency with one of the greats uh, in at the Houston and, you know, ended up learning about Helen. And all these names that you've mentioned are, you know, some of the greats that you and I look up to in the contact lens world. But as educators, they made it kind of look easy, right? They kind of, well, why wouldn't I go out and speak? I, I have the same type of story with my work with Mark and Pat and, uh, you know, at Pacific University, uh, Pat Caroline and Mark Andre is just how, how simple, so to speak. And I, I don't mean to downgrade what they're doing. And I know you're not either, but um, it was just like, well, hey, you know, if, if they're out there lecturing, that's just what you do. And we share, right? And that's what educators do is we just share our knowledge and share how we learn and share all those sort of things. And I think, you know, as a, as a younger practitioner or somebody who's in the world of contact lenses or, you know, maybe somebody even graduating from optometry school here soon, uh, we can take from that and say, hey, you know, in the future, I can do all these sort of things. And it's all about those connections and finding those people that can help you along the way. And uh, I, I, I love that from your story is it was just, you know, you were, you were humble in saying it, but also like, why couldn't I do this, right? And I, I love that. That's just brilliant. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and, and you make an excellent point. Um, I love working with the people at Pacific, and we do that quite a bit, actually, because Pat Caroline, Mark Andre, Matt Lampa now, they are the best in the field mm -hmm. that I know, bringing it down to something people can understand. And I see in the back, and your, your listeners wouldn't see that, but there's this picture of, uh, of Einstein there. And... Um, I, there's so many fun quotes coming from uh, from Einstein, but um, the one I like most, um, Dave, and it really sums it up, is things should be explained as simple as possible. Well, that that's a good one in itself, yeah. but not simpler. And that uh -huh. is the essence of what I do on a daily basis. You got to bring it down, down, down. But there's a point where you just can't go lower, right? Where you, yeah. then, it, then it's not real anymore. Then it's not true anymore. And that's the point where you got to stop. But most people just, just are stuck up there, especially scientists, mm -hmm. and have, have trouble coming down that ladder. And, and mm -hmm. I'm not that clever, Dave. And I think that is, and I, 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 well, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm just, it really helps me um, to get my head around things to, to, well, dumb it down, as you say, but to bring it down one or two levels so I can really understand it. And mm -hmm. only if I understand it, I can explain it to others. So it's, yeah. it's about that. It's trying to explain things as simple as possible. And I do that with my students. I do that with the CE courses and also the newsletters, but mm -hmm. not simpler. There is a sort of a bottom right. where you have to stop and say, well, you know, this, this is what you really need to understand. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it doesn't do justice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear you wholehearted on that. And I think that one of the things that sometimes happens in education, you know, I think about some of the meetings and some of the great speakers that are out there 
is I listen to them, but they're so far above what I understand or what I can really comprehend even myself, or I'm listening to it. And as a clinician, I've seen it a hundred times and I'm thinking, well, what about somebody who's only seen it two times? Does that make sense to them? And it's almost as if in, in education, sometimes we want people to think how, how brilliant we are. And, uh, and, and I wholehearted agree, you know, we need to make those things simpler. And I, I agree with you. The Pacific mantra is take the complicated, make it simple so that we can get where we need to go. Not, not too simple that we're dumbing it down. And I, I agree with you. I think you and I hold on to that, that Pacific mindset with regards to our education. So, so if you've now done research and you've published papers and you've, uh, and, and how do you go about doing that now? You're working with a lot of different people around the world in the research perspective, collaboration with people. How, uh, how does this process get started for you? You come up with an idea, and then how does the research go about happening uh, with you in the Netherlands and somebody else in, in Oregon or Texas or Australia or wherever it may be? How do you collaborate with people? Yeah, so um, actually, maybe it's good to finish the story, uh, Dave. So yes, I lived please. in the U.S. for 10 years. Um, that was actually because my wife uh, was working at the World Bank in uh, Washington, D.C. So that was supposed to be for a one-year project. Uh, she uh -huh. worked for the Dutch Central Bank here and then, you know. Um, almost like an exchange program too. But one year became two and a couple of kids were born. And, you know, uh, needless to say, I needed to be there actually for creating that too. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, yeah, we moved to the U.S. gradually. And um, all of a sudden I was there finishing my PhD, but without a real university behind me because uh, that was back here in the, in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, of course, I knew Pat and I knew Mark and uh, the people at Pacific and, uh, and, and Craig Norman. And uh, they've been so nice to me, um, helping me out and uh, – um, working on the Global Specialty Lens Symposium, Craig got me on board of that uh, pretty pretty fast after I moved to the U.S. And that sort of started um, rolling. And we had so many things in common that we started to do projects together. And that's I, I noticed, uh, Dave, that the things we want to do um, are not um, limited by location. In other words... Right. You and I were, were nine hours uh, apart from each other. But mm -hmm. when we talk, we, we talk the exact same language. And if I say, well, I got this new thing um, that I want to test. And tomorrow you could use that in your practice. So if I have to limit it to the location where I am, it um, sort of obstructs things. So what I really, really like is working with people literally indeed from, from around the world, trying to find niches where they are working on too. So um, I think we should maybe, and, and this whole COVID thing sort of uh, made that even more visible. I think we should not reinvent the wheel over and over again at every university around the world in terms of mm -hmm. education and in terms of research, but mm -hmm. to see what groups are working on what and then um, get together and uh, so, yeah, I had to work with, um, 
Minho University in Portugal, um, uh, yeah, Houston in the past, Pacific University of Montreal with Langis Michaud. Mm-hmm. Again, one of those uh, places in the world where they have a lot of clinical knowledge. They have a huge clinic of, I think, I don't know, they see 10,000 patients a day. Uh, well, not a day, a year, <laughs> a year. or more. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so if we have something interesting, indeed, we talk to each other either now through Zoom or whatever, or at conferences and say, wow, it would be really cool if we could study this or that. And then, you know, Pat or Langi tells me, well, you know, I've got this master student who needs a project. Why don't we see uh, if that works mm-hmm. out? And um, yeah. and typically, it's not even sitting down and having to think of, of new ideas. It's just we have more ideas than we typically have room to um, to do research. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it, it just rolls off by by itself almost. Yeah. Well, being being the technology is the way it is today. It's super easy to. Uh, to, uh, to be able to do all of those sort of things. And uh, you've been very effective at it long before it was easy. And uh, I really admire that about you. Um, Ave, what, what are you working on right now? And uh, we're going to, you know, we have another podcast coming up where we've, we've talked uh, more extensively about your soft lens work. Um, and you've mentioned that a, a moment ago, but what are some of the things that are on the horizon that you're involved with right now that uh, we should keep our eyes out for? Yeah, so um, really everything in the specialty lens arena has my my interest. But um, so we recently had the global specialty lens symposium, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, one of the key things I think there, and I, w- I was, I was, uh, they asked me to moderate the myopia session. That is something we really, really um, should embrace, and uh, there's so many opportunities there, especially yeah. I think in the um, in the customized uh, arena. If you really dig deep into that, and, and I know you're you're on top of everything, Dave. Um, you know, there's no one method or intervention that you could just copy paste to all of your your patients, all your kids, right? So it's every individual is different. And then within every individual, so we have to customize the treatment. You know, when I, when I, when I, sometimes I go to myopia clinics here in the Netherlands, I just sit in for a day and every single patient is different. There's not one that's the same. So you have to customize the treatment. Sometimes it's atropine and with atropine, you can customize the concentration of atropine, of course, go up or go down, depending on where on the graph they are, add lenses to it, uh, subtract lenses to it from it. And then of mm-hmm. course the outdoor, well, anyway, it's, it's that puzzle. So that's yeah. customizing the treatment, but then within the treatment, if we look at the optical interventions, um, then you probably are looking into customizing that too. You know, the mm-hmm. aberrations of every individual is different. And I think part of the key to myopia management is probably the aberrations of the eye right. in conjunction with the lens and then but even the aberration vary between a young kid at preschool um uh, and and during um 
uh, elementary school and 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 and, and a teenager so right. even within those couple of years probably you could see if you could optimize the the optical profile if you want of your lenses and or glasses and then see because the thing is the wind that we have dave to to um treat a kid is really limited right it's yeah, probably somewhere right. between what eight and 12 or something sure. that's where the bulk yeah. of the treatment has great. to take mm -hmm. place so we gotta push it to the limit to get as much treatment in in or during that period that means yeah. we have to optimize it so as you can see uh, i get really passionate about that for yeah. sure yeah. Well, you've always been really good about the the customized perspective of things. And, uh, you know, we have to drive our profession with becoming more customized and more specialized, you know, individualizing the treatments for people, you know, in, in clinical practice, as, as you know, that's somewhat difficult to do on a large scale. Uh, with the technologies that are capable, but it's individuals like you that are looking for methodologies, materials, treatments, and, uh, and diagnostics that can then drive that so that as clinicians, we can become uh, better utilizers of that and become more advanced in that. You know, soft contact lenses, what you've done in that world are a great example. And uh, I'm excited for our, our, our listeners to learn more about that. Uh, with regards to the work that you've done. So, hey, thanks, Afe, for joining us for this uh, episode of the Optometric Insight Show. Really appreciate your perspective on things and uh, looking forward to talking to you again, my friend. Will you be on the show again for us? All righty, I'll be back. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us for this opt uh, episode of the Optometric Insight Show. Make sure to like and subscribe and uh, leave your comments below. And uh, please also look for uh, the information about AFE's newsletters. And uh, we'll be back next time with more episodes on the Optometric Insight Show.